With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is The James Altucher Show... Today on The James Altucher Show. I'm doing an experiment. It's called I Will Make You a Millionaire. The idea is I take 10 or 12 completely random people and I use the specific techniques in my recent book, Skip the Line. And within six to 12 months, my goal is to make them a million dollars or put them on the path towards making a million dollars. And I started out with a couple people. I'm adding people one at a time. And a lot of people have been very nice and sent me reviews to skip the line and, and explained why they should, uh, you know, participate in this. I encourage people to buy skip the line because it's all these techniques. But anyway, I've started working with a couple of people and I've been recording on Zoom all the sessions. And I wanted to share this recording from just yesterday about with James Quandell, who's one of the first two people I picked to be in this. I will make you a millionaire program. It's not going to be like today he makes a million, but we're going over the techniques bit by bit each time of how to come up with good ideas, how to decide something's a good idea, how to execute on things depending on which direction he's going. Everybody needs to build different skills, and so we work on that. And I just show him how I would think about things. And so even if at first it doesn't seem like, oh, well, he's not recommending a stock that'll make a million dollars, it's the mindset and the skills to make a million dollars that come first. But with James, his first idea list was some books he could write on a topic he's interested in. And that could, of course, lead to other things in what I call the spoken will approach on Skip the Line. But there's some very interesting things that happen in this session that you're about to listen to. And I want to share these because then even though I'm only picking, you know, I only have the resources or time to pick like 10 or 12 people, everybody could potentially learn from these sessions and these ideas. And I'll share the other person who, um, as well in a, in a week who has a completely different set of things he's working on that could very quickly make him a millionaire. James also has some ideas that could very quickly make him a millionaire. But you'll see that I build the foundation first. And we talk about it's building a, a foundation that gets you to make millions over and over again. So this is an example session. of This was my second session with James Quandell. And again, I'm using the specifically the techniques from that I write about in Skip the Line. So here's I Will Make You a Millionaire, part one, James Pondal. Listen to this, and then um, I would love to hear your advice on the things you would like to hear about this or maybe the skill sets that you would like to learn about, and I will focus on those. So you could tweet that at jaltacher or write me at altacher at gmail.com. Let me know. Thanks very much, and here's James Quandell's I Will Make You a Millionaire.
I wouldn't tell him my secret. So, which I should have told him my secret actually. Now, nowadays I definitely would have told him what I was doing, but, and by the way, I did tell someone else that, and he used it against me to, to have mm. Yahoo Finance block me. But that's, an, uh, sometimes you have to be careful who you share to, but most of the time I assume people have good motives. Well, what's really cool is, so it basically, it, I mean, these are small numbers, but 200 people joined my newsletter. And now they're, when I sent my update out, uh, I send a, I call it Wiseman Wednesday. Every Wednesday I sent out a little report of all the articles I wrote, any articles and podcasts I liked from the week before. And then I included like this week, a skip the line section because these people followed me after reading that review. So they're going to want to know like what's going on with skip the line. And like my site's just been, I mean, it's small traffic, but it's finally, like, I've been writing since 2019 every week. And I feel like I was writing into the abyss, but now it actually feels like there's people paying attention. So it's really cool. By the way, Jay, are you recording? Yep. I just started recording. Yep. Yeah, that's an important thing to notice because that's the goal of these sessions that we're doing is that as we get to know each other, there's different ways in which I'll help. Like, I think when people hear what the idea behind this, how to be a millionaire, building the, the skills and habits and the things that have to happen to, let's say, make a million dollars, which sounds like a get rich quick scheme, but really it's a collection of all these tiny things like how you get more traffic, what you do with that traffic. As George Washington would say, it takes a lot of mickles to make a muckle. And <laughs> that's what this is. Like in your list, books I can write, these are all good ideas. This is a, a good 10 idea list. Any one of these, by the way, would be amazing. You should write all 10 of them maybe. But it's just doing these idea lists, you kind of have to do it in order to figure out what comes next. Like maybe you never would have thought of the sarcastic side of Jesus or the Billy Graham Bible if you didn't actually sit down and write the list. 100%. If you're just thinking of these things, A, you're going to forget them, and B, you won't come up with the Billy Graham Bible. You have to force yourself. That's number 10. So you had to force yourself. To, you were at number nine, and you're like, God damn it, I need to come up with one more thing. All right, I really respect Billy Graham's quotes and his interpretations. The Billy Graham Bible is an idea. So you probably wouldn't, if you were just like riding, you know, sitting in a bar, hanging out with your friends, you probably wouldn't have thought the Billy Graham Bible. If someone said, oh, come on, man, what kind of book are you going to write? Yeah. You wouldn't think, oh, the Billy Graham Bible. That wouldn't have been the first words out of your mouth. And I know that because <laughs> it's the number 10 idea. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then by the way, think about it now, the next step of this, of that, of that list, like a list I would consider doing the next day is I would take number 10, the Billy Graham Bible, and then you could write the T.D. Jakes Bible you know, you could take every mega preacher and write their Bible. So there's a franchise there. The spiritual yeah. disciplines for entrepreneurs. Of course, that's a franchise. The spiritual disciplines for parents, spiritual disciplines for teenagers, spiritual disciplines for uh, relationships, for, for single people, and on and on. There's a franchise there. You know, number seven, that's already been done. But the good thing about idealists, they're meant to be mostly bad ideas. Like I hope I have bad ideas on my list. Otherwise there's something wrong with the list was too easy or something. The family board meeting. I think that's been done also. Uh, by the way, just because something's been done doesn't mean it can't be done again, even better or, or differently. So that's not a big deal. I don't know if you remember, or if you heard these, but in a year, about a year ago, I started giving 30 day book challenges to people. So I would basically outline books that I thought people could do in 30 days but the outline would be specific enough that they would specifically know what to do and what to write, 
but broad enough so that every single person who used the exact same outline would have a 100% completely different book. And <laughs> so just because a book's been done doesn't mean it can't be done again. Um, don't lead your business like Judas. The only reason that's a little weird is because it feels like it's basically the same as lead your business like Jesus, which is like the seven highly effective habits of Christian leaders. So I feel like you overlapped two ideas there. That's true. Yeah. One taking a negative way of doing it and the other is just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you're, if, so if your list was titles of books I could write, that might be okay, but that this is actually books I could write. And those are the, that's almost the same book. But yeah, I thought this was, this was good. My favorites are number one, which would be a shorter book, I guess. Number two, number nine and number 10. And so let me, let me address number nine for a second. So Noah Kagan, do you know who he is? No. He's a blogger, very interesting guy, quirky guy. Um, but I always, he's been on my podcast a bunch of times. I've been on his, I've, I've visited him in Texas. He's visited me in New York and he's an entrepreneurial guy. And he did a really interesting concept for a YouTube video, maybe two days ago. He basically, you know, FaceTimed, whatever you do on Facebook, where you see video of people just on the fly, all of his friends who have more than a million dollars and just asked them, how did you make your first million? And they answered and he compiled it all into a YouTube video. I thought that was like a brilliant concept for a YouTube video and really easy to do. And, and I think, Jay, I even sent it to you, like we should try something like that. Yeah, yeah, and, I saw that. And the spiritual discipline for entrepreneurs strikes me, you could do the same thing. Like you could call basically a bunch of entrepreneurs and say, listen, I don't need to know how you make clothing if you're, if you're Damon John, but like, what was the spiritual disciplines and, ha and how, did, how were they useful in your entrepreneurship journey? I feel like that one you could do pretty well. Yeah, that would be really cool. And yeah. you know, you could start it off as like a sub portion of your newsletter. Like just like you have a skip the line section, maybe like every Wednesday you have a spiritual discipline of entrepreneur section. And that's a way to kind of seed it just to, A, to see how people respond. And B, if you do 300 of those, or if you do 50 of those, now you have a book if you just staple them together. Yeah. And you would just reach out to these people on social media or email or however. Yeah. Let me see something for a second. So I just asked someone if I could uh, call them and ask them their spiritual disciplines, but he's actually is about to pitch a movie at a movie studio. So, <laughs> and he, in three seconds, he said, otherwise he would have done it. Let me see who else is live. This guy, Dave Kirpin has a good company. Uh, it's like a very successful agency. Um, we'll ask him to describe it and, and let's, we'll do it in um, five minutes or less. That's hilarious that it's him of all people. I'll tell you why in uh, in a minute. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. He's because he's got a spirit. He's like I got a Jewish spiritual background. I think. Well, I have a a meeting on his calendar on May sixth during his open office hours. We talked on Clubhouse, and he wanted to hear more about what I was doing and how he could help. <laughs> okay, cool. Another guy is responding too, so maybe we'll do two of these just real quickly as a practice. Dave Kirpin's going to join our meeting. Cool. Hey, James and James. What's going on, guys? How you doing? Uh, thanks for doing this. It won't take too much of your time. Dave, this is James Quandall, who uh, apparently he has a, a meeting set up with you anyway, by coincidence, in your office hour. So this works out well. So you'll see him again in a few weeks. But he had an idea for a book, The Spiritual Disciplines of Entrepreneurs. Sometimes the best way to do things is just brute force, just fucking do it. Excuse my language. I figured you have a good business. You're successful. And I know you have a spiritual side to what you do. And I figured he can ask you that question. 
Yeah, of course. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to jump. Uh, I, I happen to be free. So uh, I was actually just updating my LinkedIn. I don't know if you know, James, we actually exited our first business uh, this week. Uh, we sold a uh, likable. So that Holy was, uh, shit. Congratulations, yeah. Dave. Thank, thank you. Thank you. So that was a, f- a fun blast. And um, I'm on, on to the next. But who, um, who did you who did you sell to him? Will you have to be involved uh, going forward? No, so my well, my wife was my business partner, so she's in the three year earnout. Um, but I'm 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 done. Nothing changes basically about any of the company or its employees except for me uh, as a co founder and former chairman. I'm officially uh, off duty. I'm the husband to the to the new CEO. So um, so it's exciting. It's a digital transformation technology services company, basically. But okay, on the question of spiritual discipline. Oh wait, wait, um, wait, James, can you can you ask it? Yeah. So, Dave, I'd love to hear more about your spiritual disciplines and the habits that you have each day. Yeah. So, I think it's a really interesting question. I, I think folks think about spirituality very differently. So, I'll share very briefly the religious habits, but I don't really consider those necessarily spiritual, but I think some people do. And then I'll actually answer the question as closely as I can with respect to spirituality. So, with respect to religion, you know, we, we are Jewish. We have a Shabbat tradition. So every Friday night, uh, my family and I get together and we light candles and say some prayers. I celebrate various Jewish holidays. So that's religion, which again, isn't necessarily spirituality. What I would say my practices are that are most closely related to, to spirituality would really be around my gratitude practices. I practice gratitude every morning, uh, evening, and night. So when I wake up, I make a list in my head of five things and people that I'm grateful for. And I guess you could say I'm having a conversation with God or some higher power. Um, I prefer to think of it as a conversation I'm having with, with myself, but nonetheless, that's a conversation that I, I have every morning. And then every evening at dinner, our family goes around the table and everyone shares uh, uh, one person that they're grateful for at the table one person that they're grateful for not at the table, and their favorite moment of the day, which again, many would not consider uh, spirituality necessarily, but for, for, for our family and certainly for me, it's a conversation that brings us closer together and closer to the universe and or some higher power. And finally, I end my day with some more gratitude, basically a repeat of my morning gratitude, but specifically focused on who and what I was grateful for from that day um, that I say to myself, you know, that conversation I have with myself as I go to bed. Those what I would say are my spiritual disciplines. Of course, I'm curious how others are, answer that question, but I guess that's how I would answer it. That's great. And can you share one thing you were grateful from this morning? Sure, sure. Um, I was grateful for a conversation I had with my wife the previous day. Uh, we had We had a challenge and I think you know, we didn't anticipate that selling a company, we only thought about the upside. <laughs> we didn't think about the downside. And I think there are clearly some challenges, but we had a really, really good conversation where we talked through that. Um, I was grateful for a specific article that she had sent me in Harvard Business Review about selling a business. And I was grateful for a therapist that I had reached out to uh, who had responded and set up some time to, time to meet. That's great. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, of course, of course. Am I the first that you've asked this question to, or are you uh, got others? This is just a uh, an experiment, Dave, just to show James that sometimes it's not like you have to go to the library and do heavy research or library meaning Google, but like 
just call people and ask them and 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 get familiar with this this style of questioning and see where these conversations go. Um, and James, do you mind if I give a few comments on your your questioning? I, I you know, even if you weren't finished, I can give you a little uh, some comments and see what you think. I'd love that. And Dave, your feedback on my feedback would be interesting as well. And and thank you for for helping us with this. So I wrote some notes down while you were talking. So I thought it was really good that you asked him to share something specific that he was grateful for this morning because that in itself, Dave, your answer was fascinating. And a lot of people don't know that, that they do think just, uh, many people just think about outcomes and not all the nuances of good outcomes. Anytime one's life changes, like your life is changing right now, there's of course good things if this, if it's a change like this, but there are also negative things. Every move forward leaves some things behind. And you going to a therapist and giving that insight to would-be entrepreneurs or other people considering exits is extremely valuable. I wish I had done some kind of therapy like that after I sold my, my first, second, or even third business. So that was fascinating. And that was a great question, James. Um, James, I would have asked, what's the benefit of Shabbat? Because Dave, maybe you take it for granted, but I think there is a very spiritual benefit to having a day of rest. And so you don't have to answer that now, but I would have, I would have pursued that a little bit more. And I also would have asked you why you not consider religion, spirituality, particularly since your example was Shabbat, which I, that day of rest is very spiritual a day to recoup and reflect and so on. And also James, I would have asked how have these spiritual disciplines helped you in difficult times, which is almost that's, I wouldn't say that's the reason one should be spiritual, but that is one of the reasons why, one of the reasons why people benefit from having a spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I would have also wondered, you know, Dave, you mentioned a great ritual, which I love, which, which there's a lot of science behind this being gratitude, finding five things you're grateful for every morning. Uh, and then James, of course, you asked to share a specific, but in general, doing this every day, how would, how does this show up during how does your morning routine of gratitude show up during the day? Like when do you feel it kicking in? And, and if you hadn't done it every morning and built this practice, how do you think your day would have been different? I think those are questions I would have pursued to kind of a get more of these great insights that Dave has as a successful entrepreneur and B to really get into the nuances of why these things are good as opposed to just, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. So again, Dave, you don't have to answer these now. That's a, that's a whole podcast, but that's how I would have uh, uh, pursued it. I know this was the first conversation. Maybe it was a little awkward because it's an artificial scenario. And Dave, just to show, I'm not like, I'm not, we're not doing like a life coach thing or anything here, I'm, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little experiment where I'm taking 10 to 12 people and using the techniques of my most recent book to help them get on the path to a million dollars or success or whatever. And this is part of that process. And the irony is the irony is that, uh, like you said, James uh, was, uh, was, was, was waiting, uh, uh, in a pretty big line, uh, to, to meet with me in office hours. And, uh, and he literally skipped the line through, <laughs> through uh, this conversation, which is kind of cool. Yeah, actually that that's funny. Like, uh, so, so just to make sure you were, you were talking about James Q and he had already scheduled with you to have office hours. And I, and Dave, I think that's a really, I think that's a spiritual thing too, is that, you know, given you shall receive you giving of yourself and your valuable time in office hours like that is an incredibly spiritual thing. Cause we're all one big, you know, 
unified species, really, despite all of our polarization and and you giving of yourself. I think just like the name of your company is all about increasing likability. There's a spiritual reason for that. It's what connects us all as a, as a giant tribe. And that's why you're so successful. So, and thank you for spending this five minutes. I just, just for anyone who's going to be listening to this eventually, I just texted Dave three minutes, you know, one minute before he came on. I have Dave, last time you and I spoke was maybe like a year ago, roughly, or maybe even more. I don't know. And I think maybe I even blew you off at some point. Like you asked me to go to some conference and I probably said yes and then didn't show up, which is unfortunately a bad habit of mine. But uh, thank you, Dave, for doing this. My, my pleasure. Good to see you uh, both, Jameses, and, uh, and also Jay secretly in the background. And uh, James Q, I, I, I look forward to our conversation. James A, reach out anytime. I'm usually not available, but I was, so it was a, it was actually quite perfect. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll t- we'll have some talk about your company and the exit and so on. So so thanks so much. Great to see you guys. All right, thanks, Dave. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. So what do you think of that, James? I loved it. And and the only reason I gave feedback on the questions is like I've interviewed ten thousand people in my lifetime, so these are all just nuances I, I pick up on what you did was fine. I should mention. And obviously this is an awkward setting for it. So it's not what you would do normally, but this just shows how easy you could get like 20 of these. Yeah. I, I love the way you ask questions on your podcast. I think it's one of the reasons I enjoy the show so much. And I've tried to include some more of that in my life. When someone tells me something, I'll just say why sometimes, or just, you know, to dig a little deeper and um, I noticed when we, when I asked him for an example of something he was grateful for today, his mo- like his face completely changed. It was like real. It was a story. It it, I, I, it was it was really neat how that worked. Yeah, like whenever you ask a question, like this seems like a, an odd way to start off an explanation of something. Like obviously people know how to ask questions, but what you're really asking for is some deeper truth. So we know already that a lot of people are grateful in the morning. Like that doesn't really give us, I mean, that gives us new information about Dave, but it doesn't give us new information on how I should live my life. I already know, not only do I know that many entrepreneurs or many people in general spend some gratitude moments, but I also know all the scientific research behind this. So I would, you know, which there is extensive. It's it's one of the few thing, you know, everybody has a baseline of happiness and you like, if you, if you lose a leg, you'll be sad for a little while. But even with that, you'll eventually go back to your baseline. If you make a million dollars, you'll be happy for a few days and then you go back to your baseline. But one of the few things that increases the baseline is a, a gratitude practice. So, okay, that done. What I wanted to know really was what's the truth of this? Like, okay, it's nice that you do this. I'll assume you're telling the truth, but I really know when you give me a specific example that, and I can see demonstrable success related to the gratitude practice that, oh, okay, maybe I should practice this. Or what, you know, Shabbat dinner, he says is religious, but not spiritual. The one, I'm not a practicing Jewish person, but the one time I did, or two times that I did have a real Sabbath for myself, and James, you probably noticed this, the same thing happens on Sunday. And of course, in Christianity is that that time where you, where it's like, God tells you, you have to take thinking time off and work time off. 
that has a real impact with the few times I've done it. I wish I could do it more. And so I was just curious how that really impacts his life as opposed to just being a ritual that he does. Mm-hmm. Those get to deeper truths than just, okay, we know he's a practicing Jewish person, so he practices the Sabbath. You know, and then the other question is, which we even talked about beforehand, is during difficult times, do you think these spiritual practices helped? And was it harder to practice these during difficult times? Yeah. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. 
So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMS for now. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? HIMSS.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs HIMSS. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. HIMS.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See HIMS.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Okay, he's going to log in. Bill Glazer. He has a company called Outstanding Foods. It's a plant-based food company, and he's doing phenomenally well. He's in every store. He makes snacks that go in the snack section as opposed to the vegan section. And so Jay let him in when he is in, and I'll introduce, and then it's all yours, James. Hey, guys. Bill, good to see you. Good to see you. So, Bill, I'm doing a little experiment. You know, I wrote this book, Skip the Line, and I'm working with people who read the book to a few people who read the book to basically show them how to skip the line to success or making millions or whatever. I'm working with James Quandell, who's on this zoom. First thing was, is, you know, he's making idealists. And one of his ideas for a book was what are the spiritual disciplines of entrepreneurs? And I suggested just call up everybody, you know, who's an entrepreneur right now and ask them. And I'm just showing him an example or two. And you were one of the first people I thought of. You're a very successful entrepreneur. And he's going to ask you about your spiritual disciplines. Is that okay? All right. That's okay. Of course. Excellent. James, it's all yours. James Quandal. I'd really love to hear about the spiritual disciplines that you live and how, they, how you believe they've been a part of your success. Well, I think uh, just knowing James Altashire who is an enlightened being, it just rubs off on me. And 
through osmosis, I've become enlightened by knowing James. So that's all you really need to know. And I think that will help promote the book. So I'm, ha- you know, I think that's, that's but of course, of, uh, of course, a big part of spiritual discipline is the path that leads to the enlightened guru. So <laughs> that's you know. right. Well, I think, you know, for me, the biggest disciplines that I have from a spiritual perspective that benefit me as an entrepreneur are cultivating awareness and self-reflection. And there are different ways of doing that, but for having self-awareness to one, see what I did well and what I could do better, both as a person and through the decisions I make as an entrepreneur benefit me greatly. And so the ability to self-reflect, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs often have tunnel vision and they have a certain way they want to do something and they bulldog their way forward no matter what. And sometimes that serves people. But if you aren't seeing things in your path that you can adapt to and navigate around or through, then you're, you're missing most of the landscape that you're, you're journeying through. So for me, having that ability to have awareness and be able to self-reflect and, and then use that self-reflection to cultivate intuition and, and make better decisions is really valuable. And so the, w- the ways I do that are, are through meditation. Meditation uh, helps not only bring awareness while you're meditating, but the more you meditate, the more that awareness comes throughout your day. Uh, journaling, by journaling, you're, you're able to get in touch and in tune with um, some of the things that you've done during the course of the day and through self-reflection, uh, whether it's asking myself questions and providing those answers or, or asking people around me those questions and providing the answers, but also being open to hearing that feedback and, and then processing that feedback, not blowing in the wind with you know, everything you hear reacting to, but being able to process that feedback and determine what is valuable and what uh, is something that I should incorporate. And how often do you meditate? I mean, I, I used to have a more regular practice than I do now. It's more sporadic, but I think what I'm, what I, what I do regularly is self-reflect. You know, I think the process of cultivating awareness isn't just through meditation. That's one of the tools, but the more you practice uh, anything, but the more you practice cultivating awareness, then that awareness is is there a lot of a lot of people always have i should have done this because they they see that after the fact and when you cultivate awareness you're able to see things more in the moment yeah how do you do that when things are not going your way like in the actual moment of that day i think it's partly by embracing that when things don't go your way those are usually the best opportunities and the best um, moments to you know really advance in a, in a lot of ways. And so, you know, I think all of us relate to when things don't go our way, you know, the initial feelings are we we get disappointed, but then later find out that those were some of the most beneficial things that, that happened to us because we could see the big picture in retrospect. And when you have that experience, then you gain wisdom and then you can see things as they unfold and when things don't go your way, instead of getting disappointed like we likely used to, like all of us likely used to, then we could see it as as an opportunity. And, you know, that changes the perspective of how you address it instead of, again, being reactionary or disappointed or coming from a place that this is a bad thing. You could actually see it as 
an opportunity and is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And, and you make much yeah. clearer decisions in that, in that mindset. And I, I have a, a specific question just because a lot of the entrepreneurs that are reading this will be just starting out and they'll be kind of hitting their first roadblock um, on the path to success. Can you think of a specific example of when you kind of had to bounce back and your meditation or journaling practice or self-examination really helped? Well, I mean, I, literally, it's every day that there's something com- comes up that doesn't go according to plan. And so some of those are bigger, some of those are smaller. I mean, I've had a product that, you know, at the early stages of Outstanding Foods that we launched that we had high hopes for and had a problem with the co-packer and had to make, you know, very fast decisions and pivot from changing from that product, going into another product. So losing momentum in one area, but then gaining it in the other. And I could have wallowed in, oh shit, this isn't working out the way I expected and be disappointed. And what I would have done is not only take myself, but taking the company further down a hole of there's a problem and the problem gets magnified rather than being able to see what was happening and being able to also make decisions that instead of continuing losing momentum, starting to gain it elsewhere and do that in the moment. And that, 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 you know, in, in a, in a way, you know, could have made or broken my company, but those things happen every day. I mean, some of them are bigger than, and smaller, but if you don't have challenges every day, you're not, you're not doing enough. That's, that's true. Yeah. If you've got any other questions, you feel free to reach out or, or if you want to do another call, I'd be happy to do that. Yeah. Bill. Um, but, yeah. That was, that was great. And, and, one thing I just wanted to suggest to James is he asked you many good things, but he should have asked you, how did you specifically solve the decision with the co-packer and when did self-reflection kick in? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it kicked in, in the moment as it was on happen- as it was happening, because I, you know, trying to fix a problem, you're going down the path of, okay, can I remedy it with the co-packer? Can I get them to see that, uh, take ownership and responsibility and, um, you know, remedy it, make it right. And, and, you know, I think it's not just pursuing one path, it's pursuing multiple at the same time, and then assessing and evaluating along the way, and then continuing making micro decisions that lead to the bigger decision uh, along the way. And so that's what I did. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, tried to get the co-packer to comply to uh, own ownership in, in their mistakes, and find a remedy. And, also thinking about, okay, if I went to another co-packer, what would be the time to pick up um, the manufacturing and would that interrupt distribution? And if it is, then can I get another product to market quicker? And so all of those are micro decisions along the way to making a macro decision and, and evaluating them along the way. So the bigger the, the bigger the challenge, the more thought, the more paths you pursue simultaneously, a lot of people will pursue one path. And then when they hit the dead end, then they have to start all over at pursuing another path. So, you know, I think in the big decisions, having plan A, plan B and plan C are are important. um, And, and putting, you know, an equal amount of energy into them until you determine where your energy should flow and what your attention should be given to. And what did you ultimately do? We pivoted to another product, sued the co-packer, and gain momentum in that other product and the other product launched and it was a wild success. And the problem of that co-packer and, and the, uh, the issue that it arose became in the rear view mirror and something that 
you know, no one even really thinks about it. We solved that problem, not the way we were hoping to, but we figured out another alternate solution that um, likely could have even been better in retrospect. And perhaps most importantly, do I like the food that you ended up releasing as a result? You don't like it. You love it. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Thanks a lot, Bill. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks guys. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. So James, how was that? It's hard. <laughs> it's, it's You see, like everybody goes in concentric circles because, you know, it's like a dance when you're asking questions. They're trying to figure out what you're really asking and you're trying to figure out, you know, A, it's a little bit nerve wracking to be the interviewer sometimes because you have to keep their attention. Um, but there are concentric circles to the answers. Like first he gives, people give broad answers and and they're valuable. There's nothing wrong with those bills. Uh, stuff about you know journaling, meditation, self-reflection, and if you had time, you could have explored more. What's the difference between meditation and self-reflection? Like, how does that actually happen during the day? You could have also asked, like, in the situation with the co-packer, he he was clearly doing some self-reflection, but I didn't. There wasn't really time to kind of make the bridge the gap, but like, what was actually going on in his brain that was self-reflection while he was deciding what to do? I think the idea of trying many things simultaneously and not being fixated on one outcome is is part of that self-reflection. I think too, I think he's right. Too many people get fixated on one outcome and get really upset when that outcome doesn't happen. And it's a spiritual practice to self-reflect, to meta-think, oh, I'm getting upset, so maybe I need to pursue more outcomes instead of just one. And so that strikes me as what his answer would have been if we went down that path. Um, I was thinking in the middle, in the beginning of this, was how do you develop self-awareness, but he decided to describe this. There was one specific question that I wondered if you were gonna ask which is why did he have a cast on his left arm? I was, I was curious. That was the first thing I wanted to know. <laughs> you should, if you're curious, you ask. Okay. Because you know, you know, you probably will never talk to Bill Glazer again. That was your one time to ask him why he had a cast. And if it was something, you know, that potentially, maybe it's like he's recovering from a broken arm. Like how does he deal with business when he's also having to spend a lot of time on medical stuff for instance like did that did he get depressed does like does it does he have a a a backup plan when he's indisposed for you know you know that's a you know the, the thing people don't realize about spiritual disciplines is they're actually very extremely practical as both bill and dave described when they started getting to specifics or when they started getting close to specifics like dave had this one example that the practical response to his gratitude was realizing, oh, maybe he needed a therapist to help him deal with the trans life transformation of, of leaving a company. So while there's also a very deep, not practical part of a spiritual discipline, because we're talking to entrepreneurs and, and because we're asking how it helps in their lives, the more specific and more practical we get is very important. And that's, so there's concentric, concentric circles of truth when you're interviewing. There's kind of the broader answers like, yeah, I meditate, I do this, I do this. Then there's like the why? Well, it helps me make better decisions during the day, helps me deal with people during the day. Blah, blah, blah. But then there's the specifics. And then even with the specifics, it's going deeper. Like with Bill, well, specifically, what was the outcome? And then there's even more deeply, well, specifically, what was happening in your brain that you think would not happen in the brain of someone who didn't have a spiritual practice? And mm-hmm. there's probably even more. The truth never ends. Like it could go on, you could keep going down it forever because everything's connected. One time I was doing, a 
seminar at a place called Kripalu and which is kind of known as a spiritual retreat. But my intent was, wasn't really to be, you know, spiritual, but just to tell what my practices were when I bounced back from failure and so on. And my initial title for it was kind of, um, I don't know, the spirituality of money, something like that. And they asked me to change the title because they thought money and spirituality didn't have anything to do with each other. And this is a major spiritual retreat that, you know, tens of thousands of people go to a year. And I push back on them that actually they're completely connected, that one doesn't exist without the other. Not that they're equal. Money is a side effect, I think, of having good spiritual disciplines, but it's important and people need to feed their families. So certainly being able to, we're not all going off and being monks in the mountains, we have to feed our families and that requires well, someone money. has to pay for the food that the monks are eating. Yeah, exactly. So right, right. So so we don't, you know, we're not gonna beg for money. We're gonna have to make it. And that's why spiritual disciplines are important, particularly that's why your idea is good of spiritual disciplines of entrepreneurs, because ultimately it's directly related to how they made uh money. And and I thought it was good uh in this one you you did ask how how do you do these spiritual disciplines when things are not going your way? I will be honest it is for me, it is, I have a spiritual discipline that I try to abide by every day. I, I wrote about it in, I think 2010 and I called it the daily practice. It's also a chapter in my book, choose yourself. It's what I do every day. But when times are hard, I it's, I don't do it. And sometimes, and I shouldn't say I don't do it. I, I do it sometimes, but not as much as I should. And sometimes when things are good, I don't do it because <laughs> I think, all right, it worked. I'm done. And then of course, every single time I've, thought that way, I went broke almost immediately. Mm. So it kind of like was a, a major slap in the face from the universe that you need to stick to your daily practice, which is why I try more than anything. Every day I ask myself, did I do it today? And it, it's a hard thing. So, but I wanted to do this as an example of a, we, you know, we just executed on partially your idea. This gives you food for thought. If you were to next make a table of contents on the, the idea of the spiritual disciplines for entrepreneurs. This gives you fuel. This gives you ideas on how to execute on this. Like we could get transcripts done of these guys. Uh, we could call them and further explore it. We could do what is the academic research on the things they suggested. You know, the Dalai Lama teamed up, I think, with um, the University of Chicago and what's actually happening in the brain when you meditate, for instance. Uh, and are people happier when they do it? Are they more effective? So there's a combination now of stories, academics, and then also it's an interesting story to say, this is how you got some of the stories. You just put people on the spot. You called them and got it done. And that's a, that's a good exercise in execution. Like people sometimes think they need to have a book deal before they start interviewing people. Nothing could be further from the truth. And now for me, the benefit is um, just like when I wrote that blog watch column for the street.com, I did it because I really did enjoy these blog posts. I wasn't like doing it in such a premeditated way. I didn't know I was gonna be starting a company several years later. I, I really, I did it uh, sincerely. I did like these blog posts and wanted to post them. And I wrote why I liked each blog post. So for me, it was a, you know, a thing of love that I was doing every morning. And it just happened to tie in like most things do. It happened to tie in with other things that I was later doing. And so just like this, this video, I'm going to ask Jay afterwards, to compile part of these things and put up a video of the spiritual disciplines of a couple of entrepreneurs. And also in a meta way, how one approaches an idea like this. And by the way, the first reaction would be, well, well then other people do this book. 
it doesn't matter because you're going to do it better than anyone else because you have a deep spiritual background and you've thought about this and so on. And even if someone does something like this, they'll do it differently than you. Your approach will be different. But part of the thing here is not just having skills and knowledge about spiritual practices and not only having a, a way to connect to entrepreneurs, but understanding the art of interviewing and nobody intentionally hides the truth unless for some weird reason they are, but it's hard to sometimes, you know, truth is like oil. The earth is not hiding oil from us, but sometimes it's hard to drill for it. So, uh, uh, you know, that's, that's a key thing in, in interviewing is, you know, there's always what people say, and then there's what they're saying underneath the words. Do you think it's because they're oftentimes trying to get to the root of what you're actually asking them? So you have to keep going deeper? Yeah, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, that's an idealist in itself. They're not sure what you're asking. They're not sure if you want them to be specific because maybe they're afraid. People have a fear that they're not interesting in their answers. And so mm -hmm. maybe they don't want to say, well, I was having a pro problem with a co-packer and I meditated and blah, blah, blah. This occurred to me. Um, but those are the stories that are actually interesting. And, and yeah. people, just like people, there are not a lot of people who do lots of interviews. There are not a lot of people who have been interviewed a lot. On both sides, it's like a dance to try to figure out, you know, what's happening. And, you know, communication with words over Zoom is not real communication. It's not, you, you, and you just met. So it's not, it's hard to get to that, you know, heart to heart connection or brain to brain connection. So the other thing is, yeah, like they think, you know, then again, they're not hiding anything, but a, they think maybe you're asking just general practices, what, which yeah. is really the specific question, but B, this is kind of a, a deeper lesson on storytelling. I can tell you, you know, E equals MC squared. And I can explain to you the formula and then tomorrow you'll forget it. But Einstein's approach to this was, he tells you a story. What if a man is on a spaceship traveling at the speed of light? And, and he's looking at a man who's standing on earth. What would each, what would each of these men see? So you start to tell a little bit of story that people could relate to. And so the best way to describe spiritual disciplines is to tell, for me, for instance, to tell a story where one time I was, this is a true story. One time I, um, I had a hedge fund and I had one investor who was like 80% of the money and he was losing his business. So he had to withdraw all his money from my hedge fund, which would have also put me out of business. And so I was scared to death. This was the only thing, or this was the primary thing I was working on. And I couldn't get, my money was invested in other funds. I mean, that's, that was the goal of my fund was to take the money from investors and invest it in hedge funds that I discovered that they didn't know about. And so I had to get back the money from those funds. So that whole process, A, was difficult because I couldn't get the money back in many cases because I had a year long contracts and B, I was going to go out of business. So I was kind of crying every night. And what I did was, and this is a weird sort of spiritual discipline, but I bought all of these books, like the Tao of Star Wars or, you know, how to apply the force in your life. Like I was really interested. I had just watched like all the Star Wars movies. And so I decided like, I'm just going to trust. I'm going to do everything I can. I want to get this guy's money back, but I don't want to go out of business. Those were my two goals. So I'm going to trust the force and, and, and I'm going to lean into it. And I'm going to, and which doesn't, which doesn't mean I'm just going to wait and see what happens. It means I'm going to be calm and see what ideas rise to the top while I continually remind myself to surrender this, the outcome to the force. And so what ended up happening was 
this guy and I, we figured out a way for all of his investors to just transfer their money from him to me. And they were satisfied with that. And I gave them discounts and, and deals on the fees and so on. But trusting, leaning into the problem and being calm and trusting, the, reminding myself to trust the forest and reading spiritual texts every day is what kind of got me out of that really hard situation. So what I did there was I told a story where a story involves a reluctant hero. I did not want to have this situation happen. But of course, there's a call to action. I had to, I was put in a difficult situation. There were problems. Not only was I going to lose my business, but also there was a difficult problem of how do I get the money back from these other funds I invested in? And then what, who and what helped me? I'm glossing over a lot of details in one minute, but you know, the forest helped me. And then I had to work out deals with these other people who were invested in this guy's fund who was going out of business and, and so on. And so I tell a story and that reveals how I used my spiritual discipline at that time, you know, even though it was just a three minute story. It, so I don't, I don't give all the details, but I told a story to express what my spirit, if I just said, oh, I surrender to the forest every day, that doesn't mean anything. Well, the question is, are you still surrendering to the forest every single day? You know, to be honest right now, I should probably do it. I should probably do it more like particularly in certain situations where, uh, you know, just like Bill said, it's, it's important to have a plan A, a plan B, plan C. I call that diversifying hierarchies. We're always trying to move up in different hierarchies that we admire. Like, oh, I want to be a better entrepreneur. Or I want to be a better chess player. I want to be a better writer. And each of these things, even if they're not competitive, like writing is not competitive, there's still a hierarchy of, of different sorts. And I try to diversify hierarchy. So let's say I have a bad day in the stock market. I might have a good day writing. So I feel, I feel good about the day. But sometimes, and this has happened more frequently just in the past few months, is that that approach is not working for me as much because the writing has gotten such polarization lately. And, you know, that's affected other things. And there's uh, maybe there's business things I'm waiting for. So I, I really do need to surrender to the force uh, a little bit more. So, so good question. And by the way, I wasn't as specific as I should be in the answer because I'm still going through it. But uh, so you could even press me more, but that's an example of you, you could have sensed that I was maybe giving you some details because I just told you about storytelling, but I didn't give you every detail. And that's something that you learn to sense and pursue. And, and you, you, you don't want to pursue to the point where you're annoying, but like Howard Stern, whether you like him or not, as a, if, he, if it's your favorite show or not, people have mixed opinions on him. I happen to think he's a great, maybe the best interviewer in the world. So I'll see how he interviews somebody. He'll ask something really directly. And the, and if the guy says, Howard, I can't talk about that. You know that. Uh, Howard said, no problem, no problem. Then they start talking again. And he, gets, he starts hitting the issue from another angle. And he's getting the person to laugh. Like he's getting closer and closer. And then finally, the person will say everything. But he will, <laughs> he'll hit him from like five or six different angles until he breaks down resistance. Like, and um, he has a book recently, Here He Comes Again which is not a biography like his, his older books, Private Parts, but uh, it's his transcripts of his interviews. And they're fascinating to read for a good interviewer. It's like a, it's like a textbook for, for good interviewing. What are um, two other books for interviewing that you'd say? I don't know. I think that's the best. The other thing is, is that I would watch good interviewers. Like, like um, you know, I did a podcast with, with a good interviewer. Cal Fussman's done thousands of interviews, but he it was best friends with Larry King. I haven't watched a lot of Larry King, but I knew what his interviewing style was and I wasn't a fan of it. But Cal broke it down, like why Larry King did that particular interviewing style, which is he doesn't prepare at all for his guest. 
So mm. he wants to learn things as his audience learns things. I still don't really agree with that philosophy, but I appreciate it a lot more by talking to Cal about it. So doing a study of interviewing, which is something that people don't think is something worth studying, is, is very valuable. By the way, not only for business or podcasting or book writing, but when I go out with friends, if I'm feeling a little socially awkward, I'll say, you know, if, if a friend of mine is a doctor, I'll like, okay, did you have any, you know, what was a difficult surgery you might've had to, or a situation where you weren't sure what to do this week. And you know, that could come up just casually in conversation and not feel like an interview, but mm -hmm. it sometimes helps me grease the wheels and socially when I'm, when I feel a little awkward or, or introverted. What would so, you like? I just, on the, what did you, what would you say is the might like skip the line micro scales of interviewing that you would need to learn? Um, well, definitely listening is an important micro scale. So that's why with Dave, or even with Bill, it's very important to listen to what they're not saying. So it's like sort of negative listening is a very important skill. And actually that's a different skill than listening. It's, it's sort of like, what are they not saying? Um, and I guess in order to do that, you also have to know what, you have to think in advance, what are, your, what are the range of outcomes that are good for you? So for instance, just learning that someone meditates should not be the final thing on your outcomes or learning that someone prays or they have a practice of you know, praying to Jesus or bowing to Mecca or having a Sabbath dinner. Um, but uh, you know, outcomes might be how, how did they make money because of their spiritual practice? Like in, you asked Bill, when things are hard, how do you do this? Because it is really hard to do this. And again, I know these weren't full interviews, so I, it's fine you didn't ask these things and there was limited time you know, these are just examples, but, uh, having a range of outcomes so you know what to negatively listen for, uh, as opposed to just listening, like it wouldn't that be that interesting, like to ask, well, what style of meditation you do? That's not yeah. so interesting. Um, there's a lot of different styles of meditation and they're all probably equally good. Uh, just like there's a lot of different styles of prayer. The Dalai Lama once asked a Franciscan monk, you know, a monk who follows St. Francis of Assisi, the Dalai Lama once asked this monk, well, how do you meditate or pray? He wanted to make the connection between Tibetan meditation and Christian meditation. And the monk said, I just repeat love, 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 love. Like, he just repeats that. Uh, and so I thought that was, and the Dalai Lama is telling the story. So he thought that was interesting. Um, but another subskill of, of interviewing, of course, is finding the person to interview and, 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 convincing them that you're sincere and honest and authentic. And, you know, another skill is making them comfortable in the beginning of the interview. If they're not comfortable in the beginning, they're not going to talk to you. Mm -hmm. at, at the end of the day, if someone doesn't like you, they're not going to hire you. If someone doesn't like you, they're not going to invest money with you. Even if you have, even if your idea is better than Uber and they know it, they're not going to invest money with you if they don't like you. So, and it's likability, particularly in a situation like this, is different from likability in almost any other situation because here you only have seconds to get someone to like you. It's not like you're at a conference and everyone's wearing a badge and you sort of know each other through your industry and, and you have a little bit of time to build up likability. You have seconds to build up likability. So that's an important skill. You know, reading the person. So understanding that, okay, Bill had a time constraint and you could kind of see a little bit towards the end maybe he's getting a little nervous about his next call. So being sensitive to that or else he's not gonna give you good answers. Um, 
you know, and in fact, he, in, because we were sensitive to that, he left the door open for us to call him later, which, you know, maybe we would do, maybe we wouldn't. So those are some of the micro skills of interviewing. Another is, this is a very important one that most people don't think about, but breaking it up, you know, you have to pace the interview. So if we, if we just drilled down on spiritual disciplines, it might be a little boring. So that's why with Bill inserting, maybe even in the middle, I have to ask, why are you wearing that cast? <laughs> and then you could, it's once he answers, it's easy to segue that back into spiritual practices. Like, oh man, was that, oh, you heard your hand playing basketball and you were in the hospital and, and now you have a hard time, time with it. How did you, how did your spiritual disciplines help you there? Did that affect your work and, and so on? So, you know, pacing it with something with a little bit of humor and, and noticing odd things does two things. One is it kind of throws the person off a little bit. So they get out of there. A lot of people I interview have just written a book. So they've got given the say they've had interviews about the book 20 times. I have to get them out of their routine, their routine answers, their, their, their book answers. So it throws them off of that. It also helps establish a connection. It also places them in the here and now because no other interview were asked on that and it's happening to them right now. Mm -hmm. And humor is a good way to, um, is a good way to increase likability. So having some humor about it. Uh, and also, by the way, humor implies a comfort level. So uh, imagine if you were interviewing, you know, the Pope. Okay, everybody interviewing the Pope is a little nervous. This is the Pope. He's the leader of like a religion with a billion people. Or if you're interviewing the president. But even then, if you put humor in, for a brief second, you're on the same level when he's laughing at a joke you say. And so when someone does that, then they then they're more open to you. They're not, you know, addressing you down or addressing you up. They're on the same level. So these are the few, a few of the micro skills of interviewing. There are more, but I think those are key ones. Preparation also is important, but in this case, I specifically didn't prepare because it's also useful to know that you don't have to prepare Larry King style. And, um, the, the listening is difficult because I'm sitting there trying to make sure I'm listening, but by through listening, it's actually harder to listen to what they're really saying. I know, believe me, believe you me, 100% of my podcasts, it's, it's honestly like playing a chess game. I have to keep track of my line of questioning that I was on while they're talking, but while they're talking, I might think of other lines of questioning that I also wanna pursue. And so I've gotta go down that one, then back up, then go down the other one, so I have to keep, not only am I listening intently, but at the same time, I have to work out how I'm gonna to get to my prepared questions, but now I have new questions and I have to keep track. Yeah. And to be honest, I'll forget at least 30% of the questions that at one point or other during the interview I wanted to ask, but that's okay if you get, if you get to most of it. But that is a skill you have to develop is balancing. It's almost the same as spatial reasoning. Like if you're working on a, a theorem or if you're looking on a, I always use chess as an example. It's a great metaphor for this. I have 10 possible, let's say it's a complicated position. I have 10 possible moves. I got to decide which move to make. Well, I look all the way down one and uh, maybe it's good, maybe it's not. Let's keep track of that. I look all the way down another. Now I have to back up and remember the key points of each move, 10 moves deep. It's very hard. It's the same thing, exact thing happens in an interview. And that's a skill that has to be practiced that you'll get better at. Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, we, we went over only one of your idea lists, books I could write. And I mentioned ones I like, I mentioned ones I didn't. Um, I think you should even immediately start on one or two of them, preferably at least two, because I think it's good to get the, the skill of 
balancing multiple activities at the same time. And it's not like these are going to win the Nobel Prize in literature. I have uh, the one, the one of these is what I've pretty much been writing on my blog for the last six months. It's the, uh, a fat, uh, it's actually better now. It should be like the seven highly effective habits of retail leaders. Cause that's what I did for almost two, two decades. But that's what I've been writing about is, so I can pretty much take that and turn it into a book right now and put it on. Let, let, let's do that. Let's take that and turn that into a first draft right now. And the way you do that is put open Microsoft word. And, uh, I mean, after this and stuff, open Microsoft word and just cut and paste from your blog, all of your posts into Microsoft word, maybe rearrange them, maybe, maybe, you know, divide into sections. So, you know, start to organize them. And that's literally your first draft, by the way, that's not, you know, sometimes people consider that plagiarizing themselves because you had already written those things. This is just a first draft. Every book has a minimum, minimum. A bad book has a minimum of 10 drafts. A good book has probably a minimum of, of many multiples of that. So it's not bad to have a first draft of articles you've written before because then you start to connect them up and organize them as a book instead of organizing them as a series of articles. I would do that. And then I would pick another book. And first off, I don't like that title, The Habits of Retail Leaders. I, I would have something like, you know, you're something that ties in Jesus as the best leader ever. Uh, but I don't know what the title is. Just you, you, that's an idealist. What are 10 uh, titles? Cause then there's ways to test the titles as well. But I would, I would say like, you know, lead like Jesus or whatever it is, uh, you know, like a call to action or, or a number like, you know, seven Jesus habits entrepreneurs need, you know, something like that. And I'm just making those up, but if you lean into the fact that my management experience mostly came from retail for all that time, I've been trying to write. I almost felt like I was trying to write too smart as if I was trying to write for everybody that runs a business. But what I did was run a retail store and it, well, don't forget, I would also include stories from history. So of course your story is, is interwoven in here because you can only tell your story. But, and even when you tell the stories of other people, you're the other people you pick is really, you're picking them because somehow or other you're, you were excited about them because of your own personal interests. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would start researching other examples in history where someone led like Jesus and it could be a military person. It could be, um, an obscure political person. It could be a Roman emperor, like, you know, Ryan holiday every day sends out a newsletter, the daily stoic about how various like Marcus Aurelius you know, use principles of stoicism to be a great emperor. So, you know, use stories from history as well and use stories from the Bible. Of, of course you'll do that because you, you have to relate each thing to uh, Jesus, but you could use stories from other parts, not just Jesus, but maybe, you know, P Peter becoming Pope or how, how was Moses an effective leader? This is a guy with a, a stutter who, you know, led the entire, you know, population out of Egypt and, you know, to, to Israel. So, you know, you could use other parts of the Bible or, or monks or, you know, like a St. A Saint Francis had to be a great leader to motivate the people he did. I mean, I don't know specifically what your um, spiritual background is, but anything that helps you from that domain, I would use. And, um, what's, uh, and then pick another one. I like the Billy Graham Bible, or I like the sarcastic side of Jesus, or I like the Genesis diet. I love the Genesis diet. Um, so I would put, you know, maybe not work on everything every day, but pick some time to, to write notes and, and start organizing your thinking on, on those things as well. But definitely the thing that you've already written, use everything you've already written in, in this.
because nobody's read it as a book. Maybe yeah, people it, haven't read your blog, but they'll read it as a book. Well, no so, one really read Mosley's posts on the, most on the blog until recently, so no one's seen them. Yeah, yeah. Let's do the week after next. Let's meet and let's go over some of these other spokes. By the way, continue coming up with spokes. These are all good, but keep thinking about it and and start working on um, the course on how to sell on Amazon. Hundred percent, you should start outlining that. That one needs to be. You need to make idealists about that one. Like, so the first idealist is what's the ten sections, and then what are the ten subsections of each section, and and so on, um, and then start thinking which one of these is uh, you can experiment with. So you had, you sent me several idealists books I can write, Amazon Ninja spokes, Christian thought spokes. Think about which ones you want to write idealists about the next execution steps for. The ones that you don't want to write the execution steps for, no problem. They're probably bad ideas or you don't want to do them. So don't, don't do something you don't want to do. But some of these you probably want to do. And so I would write the next, and, I, and a single idea list could be, what are the 10 next execution steps on a course on how to sell on Amazon? Or uh, a podcast featuring Amazon sellers. Make a list of your favorite Amazon sellers and maybe reach out to them and see if you can interview them. You know, and by the way, they don't have to, it doesn't have to be a podcast. It might just be research for a course. That's true. That that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I don't even think I would listen to a podcast about Amazon. (laughs) You're right. You may or you may not, but uh, the interviews are going to definitely give you fuel to research. Like, well, what's a good drop shipping company? You know, what's a good, you know, get very specific. What's, you know, how did, how did you manufacture your product? Uh, You know, what are best practices for Amazon sellers? Jay and I once tried to set up an Amazon store. It is hard to set up an Amazon store. Even just that technical detail is very difficult. Yeah, I think we came we came in at the wrong time. We came in right when they tightened up their their dropship policy. Yeah, and and what's the practice for what's the best practices for advertising it and for getting new customers and um, should you have a newsletter side by side? So, uh, um, all right. So I do have to get going, but this was great. Well, how, well, I should ask, it was great for me. I was, I was it for you. <laughs> it's good for me. I, I feel like I could talk to you every week. There's just, there's a lot that's happening right now. So this is really great. I really appreciate the time. It's, it's really cool. No, no problem. And I feel bad that we haven't had a chance to, to meet more often in the past few weeks, but you know, I've been launching a book, so I've been on a lot of other people's podcasts, but Jay, maybe after the next week or so, I, you know, even when I send you, Hey, I should go on this podcast, try to calm me down a little bit. No, I, I I will, but I'll, I will schedule it further away. Yeah, but although sometimes that's you know, dangerous too. Uh, yeah, I, I I like to strike the iron when it's hot. Yes, you know. How about we we stack the time and we can do some of these talks while playing while you're playing chess, so that way you're growing your chess skills. It doesn't, you know, we can. Ah, uh, yeah, maximize Ice. time. Right, I forgot. And that, we can that, put that, it on Twitch live. I mean, why not? <laughs> I well, what? By the way, what do you think of this idea? So I'm gonna do a Twitch stream with, um, uh, you know, and again, I'm not, a lot of people who do Twitch streams who are chess players are people like, you know, Hikaru, who's the best blitz player in the world, or Eric Hansen, who's, you know, one of the best blitz players in the world, and he has a great personality for, for this, or, or Eric Rosen, who might not be in the top 10 players in the world, but he's, he's good enough. He's beaten Magnus Carlsen in blitz, and he also has a niche. Like, he, he focuses on these trappy, openings. So, but sometimes there, there's other ways to do a Twitch stream and I'm, and I'm a good teacher, for instance, I give chess lessons to people, for instance, and have for 30 years. But I was, I thought of a series, uh, called Magnus Carlson's most insane openings. So 
every stream, I'll pick another insane opening that Magnus Carlsen, the world champion, does. I explain it by going over some example games that he's played, and then I play live using those openings. So as an example, Magnus Carlsen has played at the 2700 level, which is pretty incredible. He, he's played an opening starting off with knight h3, and he played another one starting off with a5. Well, he played the bong cloud recently in a tournament and people but, thought it was an insult to do right, that. Well, well, that was just a joke. He only, they only played the first two moves and then agreed to a draw. But uh, Knight H3, which is probably one of the worst openings you could play, uh, he actually played in a real serious 2700 level, like super grandmaster level tournament game and he won. And, or maybe it was a draw, <laughs> I forget. But so I would analyze that game and I would describe all the ideas behind the opening because it's once you analyze the ideas it's not as bad as it always seems and and then i using those ideas in that opening i play them live as a master versus let's say non-masters i think that's that's really cool yeah so it'll be educational it'll show you how to how even magnus carlson the world champion plays insane openings it teaches you how to find the ideas inside a, an opening that is new to you because all these openings will be insane and new and they're bad so you have to find the best ideas in them and then i play them and hopefully whether I win or lose, you know, you see the ideas in practice. How can you niche it down to what only you could do though, as far as like your questions and answers or something during it? So if you're not a chess lover, you still would get benefit from this time that you're doing because people are asking you entrepreneurial questions or investing questions or life questions or whatever. Yeah. So, so A, I could do it like how I've been trying to do it, which is, um, while people ask questions that have nothing to do with the game, I'm trying to answer them. And I think as per your advice and others, it's easier for me to do that if I'm playing slightly longer games, maybe not one minute, but 10 minute. And I'm playing people who are a little lower rated than me, so I don't have to think as hard. Or I can say, I can always draw the bridge. Like, why does he play this opening? Like, what does this have to do with, what lesson in life can we learn? You know, there's a surprise element. There's an idea that most bad situations are not as bad as you think. And so, and often the specific ideas, you know, chess is, is, is really a game that has millions of metaphors to real life. So I could, I could tie the, that all together. Yeah. So, yeah I, would, I would watch that. Yeah, I would too. Just like, oh, Magnus Carlsen played A5 against the 2700 rated Grandmaster and won with it. That's interesting. I'd love to know what the I and and the I the principle that there are even ideas that are practical behind an opening like that is very interesting to me. So, yeah. Um yeah. all right, I do have to get going. So um thanks so much, James. And and Jay will schedule the next time. And but but send me any emails or questions along along the way. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, James. Enjoy Thank you. and good luck. Bye. Appreciate it.